Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. Lincoln came home with an assignment last week where he was instructed to write a paragraph describing people he cares about. So naturally, he chose to write about his mom. And as he began describing her, uh, his little sister Sophia ran in and interrupted and she said, Mommy cooks me food, has meetings on Zoom, and cooks me food. Now, if you know Sophia, she pretty much eats all day long. So she's not lying, but is she telling the truth? Yes, for my three-year-old little girl, this is the reality of her experience with her mom. It might be limited, but it's hers and it's real. And so Lincoln followed up saying, yeah, Sophia pretty much said everything. Mom cooks, reads me books, and sends us to the corner if we're bad. (laughs) And I love it. This is Kristen through the eyes of at least some of her children. But is this an accurate picture of Kristen? Is Kristen someone who spends all day in the kitchen or in front of a screen sending kids to the corner if they get in trouble? For a three and a a six-year-old in that moment, yes, that is their definition and their truth of their mom. But what would happen if Lincoln's teacher read this paragraph and said, wow, this is Kristen? And then what would happen if she passed it around and asked the staff to read it? Would they all assume this letter is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth when it comes to Kristen? And if they did believe it was the whole truth and nothing but the truth, what would we say? We'd most certainly laugh a little, or worse, get concerned because a child wrote this letter. The author, who they are, how old they are, and even how they understand Kristen has to be taken into consideration, right? You can't just say it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth when we have people involved, when we have a relationship involved. After all, have you ever experienced this in your own life? The more you learn about people, the more your understanding of them changes, grows, and evolves. Of course you have. It happens all the time in our relationships. We have an opinion of someone based on what we can see or even what we can't see or even what we've previously experienced with other people. And all of these things impact what we know about others, our truth about them. Another example is when I meet with uh, couples interested in getting married. I often ask me, ask them, sorry, to tell to tell me about their parents. What was your mom or your dad like, and what did they do around the house? I ask these things because our lived experience with our parents often lead to assumed responsibilities or expectations for our spouses. And so I think it's a good idea to talk about this stuff before the fight because a new spouse can find themselves on the couch if they ever say, but my mom does it this way. And another spouse might shut down or become distanced because they've been told, my dad always did it that way. But the truth is, no matter who we're dealing with, our past experiences, what we see and know at any given moment, all impact our experience, truth of the other. And we get it. It makes sense because it lines up with our real life experiences in our own relationships. And yet, for many of us, we've been told we have to throw all that common sense out the window when it comes to our relationship with God. Because do we make assumptions when it comes to God? Can we tell the truth based on what we know right now? And can that truth, that lived experience right now, can that change, evolve, and even progress the more we know God? Two weeks ago, 
And we began this discussion on the Bible because if there's one thing we've often been told, it's a book that never misses the mark. It never gets the truth wrong. And it's actually, for many, the holy, inspired, inerrant truth of God. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is an amazing, beautiful book that transcends mere humanity and in many ways crosses into this mysterious, divine realm of where God and people connect and unite. And yet we've been told that when it comes to the Bible, we must throw out all of the reason and literary critique that we know about because it's the Bible. Which means some people say it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so believe every last part of it. And some people will say, I can't believe all of it. I think there's some stuff that isn't necessarily true. So why bother reading it at all? Because how are we supposed to differentiate between the two? And that might be nowhere more relevant or true than when it comes to the Old Testament and Jesus. Because as I'm reading the Old Testament and I'm doing it again now, uh, right now with a buddy, I have to tell you that God revealed there If this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, that God looks nothing like Jesus. In fact, it seems to justify the theology that that says that Jesus saves us from a God who's bloodthirsty for justice, adherence, and strict obedience. What is the truth when it comes to the God who's revealed there? Because the two testaments seem to paint a very different picture. So I want to remind you what we said two weeks ago. As Anabaptists, as people together, we affirm that the Word of God was not written in ink, but was revealed in the flesh of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because after all, the Bible says so. Do you remember that passage from Hebrews chapter 1? We're going to read it again now, but it says this, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many different ways through our ancestors, through the prophets. This idea, sorry, that God spoke many times can be translated to mean people caught many glimpses of God through the prophets. Glimpses. I absolutely love that word because it indicates the story my son told about his mother. It paints the same picture of what would happen if you asked me to tell you about Kristen. We can both tell you what we know at this moment, but our language falls short. It's certainly not complete and it's not necessarily untrue. But it's just simply a glimpse, though, of who Christian is. John, in in John chapter 1, mentions this idea of the Old Testament prophets giving us glimpses by saying something radical. He says, no one has ever seen God. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, not only did people see God, somebody actually wrestled with God. So what is he talking about? We use the same language, actually, in our own lives, or maybe you have. Have you ever told somebody you've never had pizza until you try so-and-so's? Sure, people have had a slice of pizza, but in pizza, but in your mind, they've never had a slice until they try so-and-so's. And this is what the author of Hebrews and John are both saying. Sure, we had images of God before, but you've never seen God until you see Jesus. There's no image, language, story, idol, song that captures the true nature, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, like Jesus, because the whole New Testament argues to support what Jesus said about himself. Jesus is God. And so no one's seen God until they see Jesus, because Hebrews 1, chapter, Hebrews 1 verse 3 sorry, says, God, the Son, Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Brian Zahn says this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. 
And as a, a church here, we, we affirm that statement because we say, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But that leaves the question, who is that that we're introduced to then in the first section of the Bible? And how do we come to terms with the God discussed there by Abraham, Moses, David, and the rest of them? Some would say we should just cancel the Old Testament because it doesn't fit the mold. But is it possible that we can learn to read it, embrace it, and allow the stories to impact our relationship with each other and God? I think so. And I think it really does begin with this second foundational truth. Yes, Jesus is uh, God, and God is exactly like Jesus. But here's the second thing. God is all about relationship. As Anabaptists, we don't believe God just chooses relationships. We believe that God is, by God's very nature, relational. I say this because many people approach the Bible as a, as a textbook. A book that is literally all that can and should be known about God. God said it, wrote it down, and therefore it's true in the holiest sense way possible. Holiest way possible. The Bible is therefore inerrant and without fault because it's filled with the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But, but I'm proposing... Now, now hear me out. I'm proposing that we stop approaching the Bible and especially the Old Testament as a textbook or encyclopedia filled with the complete picture of God and begin to read it as an Anabaptist believe it was intended to be read. As a story that describes a growing, maturing, and progressing relationship between humanity and a God who calls them mine. And just like Lincoln and you and I progress in our knowledge and experience and relationships with other people, we believe the Old Testament is filled with assumptions that are made and concessions that are given as God draws people to a full revelation of who God is and how life was intended to be experienced glimpse by glimpse by glimpse. This idea of humans progressively becoming more and more aware of who God actually is, is a theology called progressive revelation. It's this idea that God doesn't change, our opinion of God does. And so to give you one, just, just one example before we dive into our discussion groups is this. Let's talk about the sacrificial system. Yes, well, if God is like Jesus, then what's with all the blood? What's with all the bulls and all the sacrifices? And what's, what's going on there? And so, there's, uh, so imagine for a second, you're born into a polytheistic culture where there's a God for almost everything. You grow up on a farm, and if you, as you're growing up on the farm, you, you have to give sacrifices to the God of the sun because the sun can either scorch your plants or, or be distant from your plants. You have to give sacrifices to the, the rain god because the rain god can drown your plants or uh, drought your plants. And so your entire life is set up in fear of appeasing a god that hates you, or maybe not hates you, but certainly doesn't care about you. And so you have to give these sacrifices to appease them in order that they might not have their wrath poured out on you. Imagine that. Serving a God or sacrificing to a God that really doesn't care about you and you just do it because you're afraid they're going to uh, ruin your life, ruin your, ruin your farm, ruin your family, and ruin your community. And then there in the midst of it, you hear a brand new voice. And then this voice calls you by name and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, that invitation alone is a radical glimpse to the nature of this new God that contradicts everything you know about gods. Because gods never know you because they never care about you. They put up with you, but never certainly never choose you. 
But this God? No, different as this God is, do you think you'd come to this relationship with a, a few assumptions? Do you think you'd have some assumed truth based on your experiences with those other gods? Now, of course you would, because God means something to you as much as it means God means something to everyone still today in this culture. And to assume people were set free of those truths and assumptions when describing their story back then in the Old Testament is to assume that my son's interpretation of Kristen at the beginning of this message is just as accurate. But nonetheless, God calls these people out and welcomes them to a new relationship. And how does a relationship with God work? Maybe like it's always worked. Now, there's a few interpretations to the sacrificial system in regards to God, because if God didn't want them to do these things, why didn't God just come blatantly out and say it? Now, there are some smarter people than I am who would argue that's exactly what God always did. God was always telling them, don't do it, don't do it. But they, like Lincoln, couldn't grasp at that point what was really being said because of their preconceived ideas about God or their limited understanding. In fact, it would almost seem like Jesus argues this very idea in John chapter 8. If you pick it up in verse 42, it says this. These are the words of Jesus. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Verse 43, listen to this. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Interesting. Now, when Jesus says they're unable to hear, it doesn't mean they're deaf, but Jesus seems to be hinting that his audience was unable to hear because they were unable to get past what they thought they knew about God. And maybe that's true when it came to the Old Testament. Maybe Moses was so used to God's acting a certain way that assumptions were made and God's voice struggled to get through. Or, here's another understanding. Again, people smarter than me argue that others in Interpret this to mean that God is actually bending uh, towards people to allow them to grow towards the goal instead of forcing it. That God had this picture of what the perfect or at least their intended relationship would look like. And instead of laying that out at the beginning, God allowed uh, people to progress in that relationship to get to that point. This idea is like a person who longs for a relationship with someone, so they're willing to eat uh, certain foods they hate or do certain things they don't enjoy because they value relationship more than the actions. And so God made concessions to move people forward towards the desired relationship glimpse by glimpse by glimpse. Glimpse. And so when it comes to the sacrificial system, God says, okay, I'll let you keep your sacrifices, but... This is a but, a big but. Instead of offering them in fear, offer them in thanksgiving for our relationship. You see, sacrifices were primarily in the beginning described as moments of thanksgiving and remembrance and also as a means of confessing transgressions against our relationship with God. And again, this is a radically different viewpoint from the sacrificial system that these people were used to having with other gods where you either sacrificed your stuff or else. And so God in these moments is, is bending towards them in order to move his people towards a loving relationship, not a fear-based obligation. And I think this is beautiful. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done things or ate things or drank things you didn't like for the sake of the person you love? Of course you have, because although those things weren't you, you did it for them. And this is the beauty, I believe, of a God who meets us where we are in order that we might grow to know who God really is. 
And years later, as that relationship with his people matured and grew and went deeper, God says this in Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And all of a sudden, a brand new glimpse. Or maybe just the people finally grew to the point where they began to hear the truth. Maybe God was saying this all along. Maybe God, or maybe God allowed it for the sake of their relationship. But nonetheless, eventually they got it. They heard it. And at just the right time, God said, forget the glimpses of what life can be like. And let's just go show them who we truly are. And Jesus came as the whole truth and nothing but the truth to say, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, to show you the final full glimpse of who God really is. And so as a crew, we don't throw at the Old Testament. We read it because it's a beautiful story of God and people growing in relationship. We see how their opinions of God and their lives with one another are impacted as they grow in love for God and each other. Each glimpse moved them forward. But as we read the Old Testament, it also calls to attention our own stories and how still today we find ourselves growing, at least I hope so, in our understanding and relationship with God. The story is not about people far away in some past different distant story event, but I find myself in these pages assuming, desiring, and even acting upon the truth I believe about God, who continues to invite me forward into a deeper relationship where I know God more fully. So read the Old Testament and don't be worried to read it to see a God who doesn't look like Jesus because God has always been like Jesus. The question is, are we catching the glimpses or have we, like the characters we encountered, are we unable or maybe even unwilling to hear? Jesus is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Jesus has always been like God and God has always been like Jesus. Our opinion, God doesn't change. Our opinion of God does. And we believe that the Old Testament is showing us those glimpses of people maturing in that knowledge. What is God saying to you this morning and how will you respond? We're going to give you a few minutes to contemplate a bunch of stuff that we just said and uh, get prepared to enter into a time of discussion in your groups about how to, how do you engage with the Old Testament and how do you feel about these these different interpretations about how we can engage with the Old Testament as truth as it progresses, as we progress in our revelation to God. Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion. You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.